Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck ups? What the fuck adelics? All right, that's it. How are you? This is Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me. I want to thank everybody who jumped on board and uh, uh, got in contact with their representatives about the Shield Act. Uh, we we pulled in like thousands and thousands of signatures. The response was incredible. I heard back from uh, Julie over at the uh, EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and uh, she told me that Congress was excited to deal with patent trolling. Excited. And they're going to go into a judicial committee meeting this week. I mean, I don't know that this will help us out of whatever issues we're having as podcasters. But uh, in the long run, it's a good thing. This is dangerous business. Patent trolling is uh, evil and it's horrendous. And it's predatory and it's uh, sanctioned extortion vis-a-vis misusing the patent system. But uh, I just want to thank you guys for for getting on board with that. I'll keep you in the loop as to what's happening. But right now, I want to tell you that I have John Darneal on the show today from the Mountain Goats. The Mountain Goats. He's going to play at the end, too. So John Darneal's coming up, and we'll get to that in a minute. I want to thank all of the WTF people, all the what the fuckers who came out to, uh, to the shows in Portland and Seattle. Great shows. We sold out both venues. It was very exciting for me. Mike Lawrence did a great job opening for me. He by the way, is taping his CD here in Los Angeles. The Mighty Mike, uh, the Mighty Mike Lawrence. Uh, and you can go see him for free if you're in L.A. He'll be at the Meltdown on March 9th, 730 and 930 shows. It's a free show. There's free beer. And uh, and Mike's great. And I want to I want to push uh, push some of you people that way. It's it. I wish I was going to be in town. I'm not. I'm going to be at South by Southwest doing things. But uh, go see Mike at uh, the Meltdown there, March 9th. Two free shows and free beer. Come on, I just sold the room out for you, Mike. I sold it out with the free beer pitch. But uh, Portland was great. Had a good time. Ian Carmel opened for me. He was awesome. We went out and ate Pock Pock Wings. So I had that gurgling and bubbling in my stomach throughout that show. That was the subtext of that show was... uh, how much pain was rifling through my colon, but it was great. Uh, Portland's a great city, and I had a good time. Seattle, got to Seattle, got sick. I didn't, I didn't let on too much, but uh, I got a touch of the flu. I keep fighting off this touch of the flu. It's either that or cancer. I'll keep you in the loop on that. I'm being negative. Uh, but no, I, I felt all weak, and I got chills, and then I was kind of fevery. I just climbed into bed when I got to Seattle and stayed into bed till like an hour before... Uh, showtime then i got up there and right when i got on stage within five minutes i felt that fevery sweat so i let the people know i was concerned about my performance that it might be dragging so i went ahead and did uh like almost two hours uh just to make sure that everybody got their mark Marin's worth and it was good it, it kicked in i forgot about the sickness and seattle was great thank you for the donuts and the cupcakes and uh i would like to thank uh, also this is a weird thing now. You guys know I don't drink. So when I get into an argument with Jessica, I don't have a lot of recourse. They, you, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I should not argue. 
I have, a, I have a difficult time with this. I don't know how many men deal with this, or women for that matter, where uh, the person you're with yells directly at you to your face and, and uses your name in it and then says it's not about you, that, uh, that you should know that I'm just upset and I'm yelling at you, but it's got nothing to do with you. It's very hard to make that separation because when someone's yelling at you, it feels like someone is yelling at you. But I get it. I'm starting to understand her better. That's good after about three years that you're finally getting the hang of somebody. So we had this engagement. It got ugly. It could have gotten uglier had I not left. Now, I am not a leaver. I will usually stay in a stupid, uh, no reason fight until the relationship is just near the end, just hanging by a thread, decimated. You know, you could be fighting about bullshit that has nothing to do with anything. And I will stay in that fight until, you know, where, you know, clothes are being packed. That's who I am. But not anymore. A new thing happened. The fight started. It got ugly. Uh, I canceled our dinner reservations out of spite. That made her more upset. Uh, I went out to my garage. I sat here. Uh, I quietly called the restaurant back and said, could you put us back on the books? Uh, it, was, it was a bad idea for me. I don't need to go into much detail about it, but uh, can we just get our table, please? Because it would make things easier. And then she came in, the fight continued. And I said, look, we can still go to dinner. If you want to get ready, get ready. Uh, you've got an hour and a half. I'm leaving. And I left, seething with something, but not horrible. But I left, but I didn't know where I, I would go. I think that in the old days, that would be a good time to go to the bar, have a few cocktails, and then come back and really destroy everything. But I went down to Gimme Gimme Records and uh, just said, fuck it, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. I can't travel far. I'm not going to drink. I don't want to eat. So I'm going to go to the record store and just browse, angrily browse. And I went down there and I'm angrily browsing. And Dan, the dude who owns the place, he's there. And I'm like, you know, doing my regular thing, holding up records. I don't know that much about going, do I need this or not? Is this something I need to know about? And then I just said, yeah, I got just had a fight. Yeah, it's yeah, we're just, it's bullshit at the house right now. And he's like, oh yeah, man, I, I know how that goes. And we talked. Me and the record store guy talked for like a half an hour about relationship bullshit. And he talked me off the ledge. We processed some feelings. I bought a Fleetwood Mac album, came home, everything was level. So that's some male bonding shit right there. And I didn't have to get drunk to do it. I didn't have to fucking make any phone calls. And I got some vinyl. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for doing that. Now I know. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that everybody go to record stores to hash out their relationships problems. But I was just grateful that, uh, you know, Dan showed up for me there because I was in the middle of it. That's what used to be great about walking around and talking to people is you could used to be able to go out into the world, not just go online and buy a book, go to the bookstore, you know, emotionally tax the people that work at local businesses. This is what good consumerism was about. This is how you build bonds with shop owners is you, you get to like them, you dump some shit on them, they accept it and process it and maybe help you a little bit and then you go back. You go back. You got to be wary, though. You, you don't want to be the guy that just you know goes to the bookstore or the record store or the hipster clothing shop <laughs> just to whine and bitch. Though record stores were, I think, designed for that initially. I think that what the record store became, perhaps in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, was really just a 
a, a, a collective gripe session about uh, the integrity of certain musicians. But this was different. This was personal. And I appreciate it. Now I'm talking about it in a new medium. So I'm home and uh, next door they got a bouncy house going. That kid must be about two or three. It's a bouncy house precariously sitting on a deck. I think it'll hold. Looks like it's holding. Do they have bouncy houses for grown-ups? I mean, I've bounced in a bouncy house before with children, but I'm thinking maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing for grown-up parties too, just a dinner party. And Would someone please do that? Could someone please have a grown-up dinner party with no kids involved and no kids in the house and just have a bouncy house out back set up uh, and just see what happens? Could someone do that? Uh, maybe they can design bouncy houses for grown-ups. I, I don't think that they would be much different in design in terms of the fantasies that grown-ups have. I think a, a castle is fine. I think that'll be fine. Could someone do that, please, and invite me? Uh, that would be nice. And before I bring John Darneal into this, and by the way, uh, the Mountain Goats released uh, Transcendental Youth in October. It's the latest record. And you can also find John on uh, Twitter, at Mountain underscore Goats, or at Mountain-Goats.com for that business. Strap in, me and John Darneal, uh it gets it gets gnarly gets good and then he sings let's do it i like to record when i'm on tour yeah. i like to if i have any ideas we had a day off in portland and brandon works brandon runs a studio uh, called cloud city in portland and it's better use of my time to write and record music than to walk around and shop on my days off. Well, and, it seems like some of the music is like, uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, there's always a, uh, I've been listening to you a bit, and there's always a sort of urgency to it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's a big part of what I do is about is about trying to get that feeling of when you've just had a good idea, and it really has that lively thing that goes away if you hit it too hard. I mean, it's, or it's you do similar, it too many times. Very similar to improv. What I do, I think, uh -huh. it's like I like to write fast. Yeah, I revise a lot. Yeah, I don't. You don't. You're not getting the first look. Right. But you're getting as close to that first look as I can get because I think that. So you're just sitting is, there with a pad, crossing things out, going his out. Yeah. yeah, I'm an old speed freak. I and mean, then that's, like, that's how I work. Speed was your thing uh, for a while. I've, there's very little that wasn't my thing at some point or another. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, speed in '85, '86. Oh, so back when it was still made by the bikers. Back when it was made in bathtubs. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, man, like, and back when you would split a, a quarter into two eighths and just slam it one at a time. Um, oh, so, you're a slammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good for you. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, why not light those synapses up? Well, the thing is, is like, for, but for those of us who that was our deal, when it became clear that you could get AIDS and die from that, your first AIDS test was remarkably terrifying. It was oh, just yeah. Like, well, I think it was remarkably terrifying for, for anybody, absolutely. but certainly needle guys, yeah. Well, and that week-long wait that you used to have. You oh, it's horrendous. Week, and you just going over everything you stuck in your arm, everything and you stuck your dick in. everybody you were going to have to yeah. apologize to. Everybody you were going to have to call up and go, <laughs> I killed you, right? And it's like very, the, the terror. Did you ever do that thing though, forget. like, you know, uh, you know, before the AIDS test where you'd call people up and be like, so how you feeling? Everything good with you? No, I would just sit around and plot my suicide. I was seriously like, because I knew. So I you mean, weren't going to make the rounds with the apologies. You were just going to. I was going to leave a letter. It was because yeah, it was just too terrifying because it's like, because the thing is, I was a scumbag, but the people I was with were not scumbags they were right. perfectly nice people who deserve better than me so you were the guy so, dragging everybody into the hole yep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that person now john uh, darnielle you pronounce darnielle yeah. darnielle yeah i'm sorry that's that's what nobody ever gets it right the first try is that true yes but i imagine that your 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 rabid fans are like oh fuck 
How does he not know his name? Half of them call me John Darnell anyway. Do they really? <laughs> yes, they do. It's like, so where did you come from? Um, you... I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, to, been there. To an English professor, uh, my father, and I think my mother was probably just doing full-time mom, and he was looking for work. And at the he, University of Indiana there? Yeah, he was at, at U of I Bloomington, I think. He'd been all over. He, he'd been in the Merchant Marines in, uh, in uh, World War II. And but he got a job offer at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I've been and, there too. And they drove me across the country. Uh, yeah. In uh, when I was, uh, I think about a year old. And, yeah. Uh, lived in San Luis Obispo until the divorce. Uh, until How old about were you? Five. Um, oh. Life forming event for me. Obviously, that's a bad I one. It's a bad time. Didn't know it was gonna. Well, I, you know, it's true. And my my therapist just said because I had a two and a half year old sister. And my therapist just said, you know, like that's about. For the, the 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 other baby to come along, yeah. and to go through that stress, and then two and a half years later, the divorce is kind of like the perfect storm, yeah, you know, the, but, the perfect storm that will define yeah. you for the rest of your life. But, but I mean, everybody has their perfect storms. No, I'm not I know. Special, you know, it's like it's no, like no, but I mean, it's like there's your struggle. You're five. Yeah. Welcome to it. Yeah, and it was very <laughs> intense because we really because my stepfather, who my yeah. mother then married, was a friend of the family, mainly of my mom, obviously. And we loved him. He was the fun dad. You know, it was like, he's the guy who bought us the shit that we weren't supposed to eat, you know. And, who, uh, your stepdad? My stepfather. He yeah. was the fun dad yeah. in the courtship phase. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's diabetic, uh, insulin-dependent diabetic who didn't watch his diet. He would just shoot extra insulin when he'd eat. And he was a hospital pharmacist. He knew what he was doing, you know, but... Uh, but so that that also sort of uh, um, you know gave you some firsthand uh, early on experience with watching yep. the, the process of <laughs> well, shooting that's up. The thing, when that's I was, a way of life for some people. In my junkie time, I had unfettered access to needles because he had giant thousand packs of them. He was never going to miss so you, twenty of them. So. Right. So you. I, so what were you worried about AIDS for? You were the guy with the clean ones. Well, no. But then I moved to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> a, whatever goes. Well, in Portland, yeah, it was a whole. It was a whole scene. So, so uh, you know, but ultimately, where, so you lived in St. Louis Obispo, and then you went where? Lived there until I was, so after the divorce, I guess I was there for an extra year, then went up to Milpitas, because it might- uh, And that's for, a Bay Area, right? Yeah, it's right outside of San Jose, and it was, again, it was my stepfather had got a good job offer, it was, you went where the jobs were, and so he worked for, I don't know what hospital, up in San Jose, and we lived in Milpitas, which was a new- But the, the stepfather didn't pan out that well, ultimately? Well, I mean- no, but I mean, we were with him until I was uh, 17. I mean, it's like he, he panned out poorly, but permanently. So Yeah. yeah. Well, what does poorly entail? Uh, he was abusive. He beat my mother and myself and possibly my sister. Uh, I don't know about that, but I think my sister alludes to that. Uh, and, it, and and it was your classic sort of cycle of abuse stuff where we used to go to the wrestling matches at the Olympic Auditorium. Are you, how, how long have you lived out here? Uh, in LA? Mm-hmm. About 2004. Two. Okay, so the Olympic was already gone by the time yeah. you got here. It's a place called the Grand Olympic Auditorium. It's a church now, but it was built, I think, for the Olympics. Yeah. And boxing and wrestling was held there, and punk rock shows in the eighties right. and nineties. Uh, twice a week, it was a big fixture, and it's an awesome. You should see it. It's right near the original pantry. Uh-huh. Uh, near the original pantry was, in fact, a code name for the Sunset Tree when I was working on it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's this big, beautiful old building that they used to have local wrestling and local boxing right, before when, when that existed. Yeah, because local wrestling was an amazing thing. And my stepfather's father had been a local wrestling promoter in South Bend, Indiana. Uh-huh. So he knew all about all that stuff. I was so into wrestling. Those were my heroes, right? I Chavo just, Guerrero, all these Southern California wrestlers. Those were my dudes. I just got an education in that. I just interviewed Colt Cabana recently. And there's oh, a whole, get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole sort of uh, alt wrestling movement. Yeah, no, I know one of the guys up in Vancouver is a big Mountain Goats fan. We've talked about me doing a heel turn for him at some point, which would be really amazing. Oh, so. How would you picture your heel? I, I I would like to pattern after a guy. What was his name? The Grand... Oh, God, what was his name? 
I want to say Grand Wizard, but that's like a clan thing. Yeah. I think it was like the Imperial... The Grand Inquisitor or something? No, no. It was... What was he called? Ernie was... His, his real name was Ernie something, and... Uh, any of your wrestling fans will be like ready to beat my ass for not knowing this guy's name off the He managed the Sheik. That's right? it. All oh, right. And uh, and the Sheik was the guy who would throw fire in your eyes, right? The Sheik, the uh, the one that's on Twitter now? The, no, no, that's the Iron Sheik. The Iron that's Sheik. That's much yeah. later. The Sheik yeah. was a 70s regional dude yeah. who uh, who was one of those types of heels whose sole desire was to injure his opponents, right? And those are my dudes. The in ones unfair who, ways. Andy Kaufman was really into these types sure, of dudes, yeah, right? Yeah. Who you wanted to be a heel that you legitimately felt hatred for. Right. That would be a fun heel to be. Like so how do you that, picture your heel? Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. would you be? What would be your contemptible I mean, I uh, think, device? I mean, I think my my deal is like if I talk, I've yeah. had enough therapy and, and been in the therapeutic professions long enough that if you let me talk to you long enough and I can hold your eyes long enough, I can make you feel something, <laughs> right? It's like, and, right? And generally speaking, I try to use those powers for good, yeah. but I think if I was looking to a camera talking about how I'm going to injure somebody, yeah. I could make you believe that I'm going to take your favorite person and I'm going to grind his face into the pavement uh-huh. at the base of the ring. Yeah. And I'm going to do it for you. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> something, so, something nice and evil like that, yeah, right? So you're, you're sort of going to uh, impose uh, with uh, with sort of lyrical sickness. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and sort of like, do you remember in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. there's this sense from the queen that she wants to do evil for the sake of its magnificence. Yeah. Just for the sake of hurting something that's nice. It's memorable. Yeah. What's, what is that movie or something? I, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. I can't remember what it is, but... Uh, but but yeah, just that sense that like with the good Pure guys, or evil. They, yeah. There's no uh, evil for its own sake. No yeah, political yeah. agenda. Exactly. Not even necessarily. Well, I mean, I'm, I imagine it would be about power. Just hates what's good. Yeah, Satanism. yeah, yeah. Break it down. <laughs> right. So uh, so yeah. So, so you're gonna be, be that guy, the guy who's going to talk you into either hating you or just uh, this guy is and so annoying. Calm. I don't think I could do like a yelling heel. I think I would have to be like the the guy who is like mellow inside. Right, 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 right. You don't so. even know pain. Yeah, exactly, I mean, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 it's right. When you see me, you see something special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, something like that. But yeah, so my stepfather had been, a, my stepfather, his father had been a, a wrestling promoter and he would take me. Oh, I am totally coming back to my theme. I'm very happy. About I'm very this. happy. I didn't have so, to pull you back around. I, I might, I can just walk out. So you know, I, what I'll do is I'll just, I'll, I'll train other guests. Yeah, okay, if you have problem okay. guests, I'll, I'll give them a little talk through. So, so, uh, but we were pals when he wasn't, I mean, this is the case with a lot of abusive relationships that, that. We loved him, right? Uh, this was a very hard thing to try and express. We were five, so he was really, for most... How, what was your relationship with your real father I loved my father the way that... Uh, uh, well, uh, that's hard to say. I mean, it was like, it, it's gone through so many different phases. But would, he, would you see him initially? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was a weekend dad. Uh-huh. He was angry uh, and About bitter. About the divorce. He had not wanted the... He didn't want a divorce. Oh, so um, your your mom... Mom, mom left. Drifted. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they tried to fix it, but they could not, and... Uh, and so, I mean, we went directly from my father's house to my stepfather's house, which is a traumatic thing to remember. It's like, because it really was going from a nice house to an apartment, you know? And uh, although I've been to the so-called nice house that I, like, this is the amazing thing I did. Yeah. Uh, I went to San Luis Obispo yeah. on tour a couple of years ago. And I had most of the day off. And I was like, I'm going to go look at the old house. I'd driven past it before. Mm-hmm. But this time I walked. Uh-huh. Did and you I, knock and say, uh, yep. hey, I used to live here? Yep. <laughs> it's a rental unit now. Did they let you in? Yep. It was insane. What was that like? I it mean, It was insane. Cause how this, much was in place? Okay, so I want you to think. Yeah. Wherever you were when you were five, right? Yeah. Where was it? 
uh, Wayne, New Jersey. Oh man, and with both parents? Yeah. Do they still own this house, or have they? Moved? Oh no, 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 okay. no. I, I, we lived there. I, we left when I was about six, but it was a red brick apartment complex. Cool. Okay. That's where well, I first saw the harmony guitar. That's where awesome. I first remember it being played. Oh, that's an amazing memory. So, but when you think of it, when you think of yourself standing in it, does it seem like you have room to run around and to, to be a kid? No, not really. Not really. For my place seemed big to me in my mind. The hallway. Yeah. I remember running all the way to the end of the hallway and running all the way back down and yeah. being exhausted. Yeah, yeah, like, oh yeah. man, I'm running all the way to the to the heater at the end and back. Yeah. That's two steps, right? No, now that on. I've been in the house, it's really? two paces. And I remember running down that hallway and the distance between my room and my parents' room, which I remember being a walk. It's like yeah. if I have to go see dad to talk to him about yeah. something, I'm gonna walk down the hall, I'm gonna get a talking to, you know. Right. That's two steps. <laughs> so those memories were like of what, three years old, four years old? Four, yeah, four, three. And those were the only things you really remember? I remember, well, the thing is like we had added a room while yeah. I was there and it was called the front room mm -hmm. and I remembered it being a cavernous big room with a very high ceiling. It's a fucking garage. It's really? A, it's the tiniest. It's where the students live now because now it's a rental unit. There was a fucking poster of Biggie and Tupac in on the front door. I was so stoked. Right? And, uh, and I was like, well, these people won't mind if I knock on their door. So I Did knock. they know who you were? No, they oh. never heard of me. I was, I was glad. That would have been really awkward. So... Uh, <laughs> Oh my God! It's, hey, it's not, oh really? This is my old house. Can I come in and yeah, yeah. feel sad about hey, shit? Yeah. Hey, you don't mind if I come in and weep in the hallway, do you? No, yeah. that was what I did. I walked in, I looked around, and just went, "Whoa!" So this is a bedroom now because this is the front room. We had a piano in there and a stereo. Were you telling this to whoever? Lived a little there? bit, but yeah. for the most part, I was just—I mean, I didn't want to. Stay so you're too sort of long. like the weird old guy that yeah. kind of came by, and they no, were the weird of... permanently young guy who came by. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it's like I try—I I, I, try—I wanted to keep it uninvasive. I wanted to go. I know this is strange. But I lived here when I was a child, and I am a musician. I happen to be playing in town. If I could just come in just to see the house I used to live in just for a second, that would be awesome. And they let me right in. I looked at the backyard, and I looked at my old room, and I uh, nodded and said thank you, and then you know, then told my therapist about it when I got home. <laughs> what was the effect of that? Did it, did it compel you to write? No, no. I had written things about that sort of thing. For one thing, I think stuff that compels me to write, it has to has to marinate for several years uh if so we not, might be looking forward to an album based possibly. on that trip maybe maybe it's hard hard to say it's like but it wasn't that traumatic it was like it was just it was interesting it was kind of sweet in a way it's good to see it's when when you feel like you're okay with where your life is at it's good to see the smaller place it came from you know and so. i think that's true i you, you know i've gone back to where a lot of my growing up was in albuquerque and uh the house has been leveled yeah it's oh, gone wow. and there's another house there that looks kind of like the old one so there's no real yeah there there anymore there's the yeah. street but that's about it totally and yeah. Uh, the house we lived in in colo iowa me, my wife and i mm. when we were really super poor uh, like 97 to 99 mm -hmm. It was a $275 a month place owned by a guy who everybody called a slumlord, although he knew this and he loved to get, they call me a slumlord yeah. in this town, but nobody for, else will rent you a house for this. And yeah. it was, he was kind of great. That's a, a weird ways. logic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am, but it's a good it's, deal. I, I am, but you like your place, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was true. Yeah. But, but when we left Iowa in uh, 2002 or three, uh, we drove past the old place. Uh -huh. We'd come a, a little ways since then. Not, yeah. not a whole big ways. We were still leaving a very small house and moving to another small house, but but we weren't colo poor anymore. Yeah. And we went we we went past the colo house and it was a hole in the ground. The city had finally bought it from the slumlord and they had knocked it down with a ball. It was just like rubble. It's gone. It was That's, amazing to isn't see. Isn't it bizarre? It's the weirdest thing to drive past a place where you 
I mean, to be corny, where you lived and loved and did things that made you a person, and there's nothing there. <laughs> that was happened with. Uh, did you ever perform at uh, Luna Lounge in New York? I never did. No, on the Lower East Side no. on Ludlow Street. I mean, there was a, a lot of uh, uh, sort of the birth of New York alternative comedy sort of happened there. Oh wow! And I went back there a couple of years ago, and it's just been knocked down. And they're heavy. They're building something there. You know, it's and it, 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 you know, you kind of look in. I look through the con- the the hole in the construction site yeah, yeah. wood. Totally. And I'm like, oh, the stage was must have been <laughs> over there. Where that where, where those pipes are sticking out of the ground and yeah, that's almost know. heavier than a house for it to be someplace where you got your start doing the thing that you are where you, where you yeah where you bled a lot yeah totally totally exactly where you had yeah yeah you put it out there that's so okay intense. so we're back at wrestling with so your we're back stepdad. to wrestling and I step on the song that got left off the album uh, that that had this line uh, uh, it, it was a song about going to wrestling matches because he would we would go in early just to make a day of it would eat at the pantry yeah right and. Uh, and do some other stuff and, and go get our seat and maybe walk around the Olympic and figure out where the dressing room was at. And you talk to me about, well, this is probably where the guy who's going to storm in later. He, right, right, right. He'll be stationed. He knew the angle. Yeah, he knew all the angles, right? And and he would cheer for the bad guys, right? It was like he was the, the few people in the building who would be booing Chavo Guerrero, uh-huh. who was my hero, right? Right. Uh, but the line was, you were, at the end of the song was, you know, you were an evil man much of the time, but on our best days, we were partners in crime. And it was true. And that's what makes the whole thing complicated. It's like, if your abuser could be, and this is true for many people, and I won't say they're lucky because nobody's lucky to survive abuse. Well, they're lucky to survive, but not lucky to have been abused. But if you can have a monochromatically evil person antagonizing yeah, it's you, easier in a way. then it's very easy just to say, well, there was a shitty person who treated me shitty, not my friend who couldn't stop himself from ruining everybody's life, you know. Was there booze involved? No, no, he was it was just rage. It was rage. I mean, this is the other thing that makes it difficult is you know a person doesn't get like that by himself, you know. Mm. I mean, people think of this as a wishy-washy liberal way of thinking, but unfortunately it's also true that you don't just wake up one morning and go, you know, I'm going to suck at marriage and fatherhood. I'm going to be, become abusive. Right. That happens to you because you came from a place where that happened to you, right? But and but so, even even if that's the case, you know, being a, a rager myself, and I imagine yeah, yeah. you've had to wrestle with it. You know, rage is not an issue for me. It's no, I, no, I became you a lot. Turn more, it in on yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly. all going in. That's right. No, I'm going to beat me. Up. Became a self mutilator. Became a, a big. Drug yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's you're a, not going to kick my ass because I am. I'm better at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You'll you'll beat me, but you won't get out knives. So. <laughs> yeah, but but so when you talk about the cycle of abuse, the the confusion of that. Yeah. To because I imagine on the other side of the rage was a sort of uh, kind of contrition. Well, yeah, the profound regret. You know, the I mean, he would get really, really, really sad. He would, uh, you know. But like, did he beat you to you bled kind of shit? No, no. He uh, well, yeah, he uh, he. Like, I had fresh earrings when I was 14 or 15, and mm. that pissed him off to no end. I hadn't consulted anybody about it. I, just, I think I got mom to sign off on it. Right. Or he just hated that, because he was a left-wing political activist who beat his wife and child and was kind of homophobic, right? And huh. uh, and I was getting girly at 14 or 15. I was growing my hair long. I was trying to eyeshadow and rouge and stuff like that. What was the influence there? Who were the musicians? David Bowie and Lou Reed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was into it. I was very into it. And uh, How old are you now? Um. Uh, I, I, you know, I've never answered that question out loud in an interview. I prefer not to, but I'm 46. Uh, so, okay, we're in the same ballpark. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I prefer for people to think that I'm 31. I feel that I pass. So, okay, <laughs> so, so but, uh, we'll let the myth continue. you can edit that. <laughs> so, for all you fans out there, he's 31. 31 years old. And he feels, but I, but I, I have to say I only feel 27. So. Well, you look great. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but uh, so remember, I remember the, the day that he knocked me hard enough to actually knock out an earring yeah. and, and, the, and the post dug into my neck. And yeah. that was the day that I wound up getting thrown out of the house I had to go live with my dad, dad, 
How old were you? 14 or 15. Uh, So that was just a fucking mess. It was a mess. And and the thing is about that period of time was that... uh, was that I had at that point a strong network of friends. Like for the first time, I was close enough to grown up that my friends weren't just my friends. Yeah. There were meaningful people in my life who I talked to about my life and who I was constructing that amazing teenage life that you get with, right? They, they know your struggle, you know? And suddenly, you know, this big, there was this big blow up day about which I remember only that he, he did that. Right, he, he was slapping me around the face hard enough to make the earring dig into my neck and make me bleed. And I went back to my room and just sat there listening to music. And my mom came down the hall to see it was time for dinner. And I'd been sitting there for half an hour contemplating what I was going to do to express yeah. that I didn't deserve this and, and the extent of the rage. So I punched my window. I put my fist through the window. Right. It felt like a million bucks. I, I bet. Never, never felt so good in my whole life. It was like, holy shit. And the house melted down, right? It was like, there was this, this immediate, you know, my stepfather screamed that he was going to beat everybody's ass even worse. And my mother's, my sister's crying. It was a whole terrible scene. You are bleeding? Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bleeding all off the arm. And I just felt like a million bucks. I never, I mean, it was like, you know what? I mean, it just felt so good to show them what it felt like inside yeah you know it it, there was there was no way of getting it through their heads and also it's sort of a way of 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 trumping the pain exactly that they inflicted or that he inflicted yeah no that's right it's like you 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 win in some weird way exactly no that's right i i that was that was my victory and then so it was a big argument that night about he my stepfather oh god this is hard to remember uh saying it was him or me and uh to your mother yeah oh and and my mother calling my dad and saying i don't think john can be in the house is not safe and and my dad said well I'll meet you halfway and he can live with me he lived in i don't even remember the name of the damn town anymore beach town in northern california like cayucas or something yeah. like that and uh and so they did and i lived there for the better part of a week calling friends i mean this place god love all the children of cayucas but there was i went to claremont high school freaks went to claremont high school right like there was 900 people and there was so much culture that the you had theater, your people the theater department in claremont high right. is a special special place and right. i was in that you know uh and we were all all my friends were 16 17 year old yale bound intellectuals and we would sit around and argue about lou reed versus david Bowie all day right and that was like our biggest argument who is better i was the only lou reed partisan right and uh and are you still uh yeah even though i mean bowie to his credit seems to have said you know what i don't think i have anything else to say you know? But but the weird thing because now I'm I'm I, you know, in retrospect we have a lot in common in that you know I have a lot of Bowie records yeah, yeah, and yeah. I have a lot of Lou Reed records and I have a lot of Velvet Underground yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more than but I also more than have, most people <laughs> but, well I mean more than other records but I also have a lot of Leonard Skinner records and a lot sure. of Grateful Dead records no, I listen to very broad stuff myself. yeah but the but the the one thing I noticed about those Bowie records is that the production value on most of them right. is astounding oh it's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know Lou Reed was y- y- lyrically. Right. I probably m- much better. Absolutely. But, you know, he sort of flew his by the seat. His ear is not of, as good as Bowie's. He flew no. by the seat of his pants, no. and I think he thought more of himself as a musician That's than right. he actually was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I mean, Bowie, Bowie has, Bowie thinks about sound. Yeah. I think Lou Reed actually did start thinking about sound with metal machine music, and his stuff then starts to be more sonically interesting. Oh, right? Well, I think that the, the Blue Mask yeah. is a masterpiece. I love that period. I love when Fernando Saunders is playing bass, I'm yeah. a happy man. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so, okay, so you're, you know, you're, you're stranded in Cayucas. Right, and, and, and I'm not, and the kids cry there- Cry for help on the phone. Oh, man, and the kids there were just not, it was, it was clear I was not going to go over with my long hair. My hair was down to my shoulders at this point. And I did, I mean, I liked to drag it up a little bit. I was not going to be able to do that at this place. And I would call my friends and my friend Jeannie Kirk when 
I called her. I was so desperately in love with Jeannie Kirk. I thought she was the greatest. And uh, had to keep her as a friend, though, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we were never seeing each other. She yeah. was. Just, I had this yeah. unrequited crush on her, and uh, and and still? she was. Yeah, I mean, we're friends now. I mean, oh, but, still, huh? But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm friends with practically everybody I used to know. But uh, really, to it, not not everybody, but a lot of people. Uh-huh. Um, but but uh, but Jeannie was like a very earth goddess, animal loving, uh, right. uh, Californian person, yeah. and. Uh, and the kids at the Cayucas place, they like to hunt on weekends, right? Right. When I told her that, she had a conniption. She like went, you have to get out of there. Yeah. Right? As if nobody in Southern California hunts, you. right? So, yeah. so you, have to, you have to get it. You have to come home. Your friends miss you, and that's a bullshit culture to be in. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. I mean, I just needed somebody to tell me that. Right. Besides which, I had left a girlfriend behind with whom I was sleeping. I mean, it's like I, I got started early, and that was a very important part of my life was that like, I was getting bullied and beaten and it was a bad scene, but I was having sex several times a day and it makes a big goddamn difference sure. in your adolescent life. Yeah, you got to balance that shit well, out. Your self-esteem yeah. just goes through the roof for that. It's like yeah. nobody can say shit to you. The guys you're... beating you up aren't. I mean, I think this is true also when you're a grown-up is like, if you are having good sex, nobody can say shit to you. Oh, it's no, like, absolutely. It's so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's like uh, you're ace in the hole. There. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you get done abusing me, I'm going to yeah. go home and feel great. And yeah, so, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, I hitchhiked. My father dropped me off at school uh-huh. and I walked as soon as he was out of view I turned around and walked across, across the parking lot I, and back I think I thumbed a ride back to his house so that I could steal his weed and uh, and so I'd have something to barter with on the way up right and, uh, and that work out yeah I mean I caught ride after ride although the problem was several like the first few rides we would just blaze up, yeah. get really stoned, and they drive me about half a mile. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Everybody's too stoned to function to like, let me out, <laughs> and I get that thumb back up. I was 15, 14 years old, you know, and, uh, but I, I halfway- do that anymore. Halfway down, I caught a ride with a bunch of guys, uh, uh, a bunch of uh, migrant workers who were coming down to SoCal looking for work, yeah. and I was just in the back of a flatbed yeah. with like eight other guys, yeah. and they dropped me off in downtown LA. And I called my girlfriend and said, and everybody at this point was panicking in my life. There were no cell phones. I could be, where the fuck is John going? And I called my girlfriend and said, I'm in downtown LA. And she said, go to Kathleen's. And I said, give me your number. And she did. And Kathleen put me up for the night. So, okay. So you made it back there. Yeah. And uh, you escaped. Yeah, yeah. And you went and lived with this girl for a while or what? No, yeah. no. She was only 18. I, I stayed on friends' couches and at a teacher's house for a week. Uh, I was like couch surfing as a 15 year old and going to school um, and calling home and saying, I don't know if I'm coming home yet. I'll figure something out and going to my therapist who was saying, you need to go home and, uh, but you need to make sure it's a safe place for you. And I, I went home in the abuse. I, I mean, I don't remember how long it stilled for. I have no, it gets kind of blurry yeah. after that, but I know it was, it was calmer for a period. And when did the drugs, the heavy drugs start? When I was like 16. Yeah, it's a year and a half later. I was very into weed up to that point of mushrooms and stuff like that. But who was the uh, the evil fuck that took you over to the other side? Uh, I had a girlfriend who went off to school in New York, and she came back with a coke habit. Yeah, and I there was no way I could afford a coke habit. But, right, <laughs> but we on New Year's Eve of that year we managed to cop both some cocaine and some heroin. Yeah, and, and acid. It was a long night. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, a long couple of days. I but this think. is the thing: is like so we tripped all day. Yeah. And then we shot coke. Yeah. And then when that started to wear off, we did the heroin. And of course, that is the only way to bypass the cocaine depression. Yeah. Uh, you know how right. the morning you wake up after the morning, if you did a lot of coke and you regret everything in your yeah. entire life, uh, that was 
that was like just the Took same. the edge off. Oh my God. It didn't take the edge off. It, it obliterates it. It's yeah. like there is no depression. There's mm-hmm. just a mellow feeling. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hate to sound like I'm evangelizing for a very addictive and dangerous drug, yeah. but, uh, but, but yeah, so that was, I mean, we both immediately were like, oh, well, I would like to take this as often as I can. Did you get strung out? Yeah. I, mean, I was thinking about this on the way over. I think she was stepping on my dose for most of our relationship. So I didn't, I didn't get as kicking was not as hard for me as it is. Although the other thing is like when I did kick after about a year, I just got, I went directly back to cocaine and booze for about a week. Right. And, yeah. I, and I was getting very high every yeah. night yeah. for a, for a week, week and a half. Yeah, Coke was my thing too. I mean, it, it's a, it's a weird thing that balance of booze and Coke. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but, it, but it was the perfect detox for me. I never really fully felt the throes. And you never went back to dope. Uh, I mean, I chipped a couple times yeah. uh, afterwards, but never back to daily use. Well, I did enough. Like I had a weekend in Portland that, that, severely affected my short-term memory and and that and to this day i have a click in my hip and i don't know how i really don't know what i was doing for several days yeah so and that was when i scored some good stuff in the early days of the black tar in Poland. Yeah. so did you uh do you do anything now no no <laughs> i mean I, I i drink some i'm not on the program yeah uh, yeah but uh i mean look i hate to say i'm too old for anything because i really do perennial i mean it's like i i resist aging strongly uh, yeah but but I am too old for that. I mean, it's like that. That's not that. Those were for one thing. I was trying to treat stuff that was wrong with me. It was fun, yeah. Right? But I was also trying to 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 cover up a lot of pain. There's better ways of dealing with that pain, right? But, <laughs> so. but, but it also takes a while to get there. I mean, you know, you you were fortunate enough not to kill yourself or yeah. or get so strung out that you compromised, you know, uh, the integrity of your soul. Yeah, I and, guess. I mean, I was a shitty person when I was on drugs. Yeah, this but is, that's different than 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 you know doing things uh, to get drugs. What do you? I mean, the 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 tape won't reflect the smile that I gave him, but I mean, I did some shitty things. What I, robbing and stealing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's you know, I, I well, I it doesn't seem to me that you were a guy that that lost himself. It seemed that there was there's a fight in you that might not have let you. I do never that. fully lost view of myself, but I don't take any credit for that. I think it was my friends and luck, you know, and the fact that I come from from enough privilege to not have gone. You know what? Fuck it. Right. Know? Uh, well, that's I, a, but that's a rare thing. I mean, because you know, I feel the same way. But you know, there are people who come from uh, you know self-aware, educated, yeah, yeah. middle-class backgrounds that that end up completely fucking that become sociopathic, obliterated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's you're right. And I know com- I've known some of them, so or yeah, completely yeah. lost. I've never been really able to identify the part of me that even when I knew my edge, even when I made yeah, yeah. commitments to myself, like I'm never going to go that far, right? And that sort of keeps getting pushed out a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but there's still that weird thing where uh, where you know. You you have that moment where I'm, I'm never going to become that guy. Right, right, and right. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm sitting here with him. You have your outliers. <laughs> yeah, you're in the program. I did, I, I kept chipping into the program again and again, and, yeah. uh, and they call them your yets. Yeah. You know, it's like, right. you haven't done this yet. Right, right so. but there's some weird thing that stops, it, it, that stops certain people, and it clearly it stopped you, yeah. that that it, it may have been self-awareness, but but there, did you ever have that feeling where you were observing yourself, that you knew you were pushing yourself to a limit? Yeah, that, yeah. Because I think that's part of it. It's like you didn't, you know, you don't become the drug. You actually can see yourself on the drug, right. and you're like, you're literally able to say to yourself, you know, how, how far out am I going to go with this shit? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, for me, there was always when I would cross one of those lines. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like to say I'm an artist for any, you know, any to get a pass. But when you cross a line, if there's an artist in you, you go, oh, bitchin'. Yeah. When you cross lines, that's when special shit goes down. Right. Even, you if, think. It, even if it hurts you, you know, yeah. you know that in your own creativity, when you go past something that you knew you were able to do into something you didn't know about, that's power, right? Right. And you feel, 
for me, it was the same thing in my life. It was like, I'd be like, holy shit, look at you. You're not a person who hangs out in this house. Yeah. Right? But here you are. Right. And it's like, you ever play Hitman, the video R- game? No. It's a video game where you sneak around and do stuff. And when you figure out who you have to throttle to steal his clothes to get into the right building, you go, oh man, I'm in the house. I'm yeah. inside. I'm right, inside, right, right, right. And and that's what so it's you, like. Is so like, you're running the remote. You're running the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the John remote. No, exactly. The, yeah. Oh man, you got him into this yeah. place that he's always been curious what it looked like <laughs> to be this person. Always wondered what it feels like. Well, this is what it feels like. And there's some strength and power in that. And I want to say actually power is an interesting word there because I think what a lot of drug abuse that arises from from having been abused and from from being environments that deprive you is about wanting to feel power. It's like, you know, it's like you were talking about with when I punched the window. It's like, you know, that that's that's wanting to say, well, I can control something, right? Right. And in the case of drug abuse, well, I can control my the rate of my own destruction. You know, it's like I can and of course that's a myth. It's like you can't really right. I think if you do, it's largely just luck. It's luck and and, and fear. It's like I've always right. like I don't know about you, but the fact that I didn't die, yeah. there's a part of me that stands in judgment of the me who failed to die. Right. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. Pussy. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like you didn't you stayed high for a while, but you never did enough of the tar to, to really, really, really be writhing on the floor like yeah, but, some of your but, friends. But, but, but the truth is, is that you know even that acknowledgement of 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 a creative journey, yeah, yeah, yeah. or a sordid creative journey, yeah. or going to dark places, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, under the the auspices that you know I am an artist and I need to to experience this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that don't ever make note of that. Right, that doesn't right. reflect in their art. So I, I think that on some level, look, if you die now, people will be like, oh, I've got all those records. It's so sad. But, <laughs> but if I, you, like, will you speak at my funeral? Uh, John's dead. I've got all these records of his. It's really sad. Have a good day. <laughs> Right, but if you would have died when you were sixteen, be like poor right. kid didn't live up to no, his potential. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. you know, there's still a romantic notion, yeah, of that's the right. life you're you're living. So that's I right. mean, w- once you became aware of the fact that you know, okay, so uh, you, you know, you're hurting yourself and doing drugs for power, and also I think there's the the power numbing out right. uh, uh, sort of paradigm. Right. Yeah, it kind of operates. You know, it kills your feelings, but also yeah, yeah. you know, you own the the shit you're in because you're right. causing it to yourself. But when did you get the self-awareness to know that the pain that you actually were experiencing from your childhood or just as a sensitive person was was something that needed to be treated differently? I mean, not until years after I'd stopped. I got, I, I, I got out because of a legal threat hanging over me when I was 21. Because all this stuff we're talking about happens before I'm 19, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I was generally, I went through a long speed period that's its own thing. And I mean, it seemed long to me, but uh, when well, that kind of, that beats you up physically. I oh, mean, oh man. <laughs> how the hell did you come down from that if you weren't doing dope? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. It, like, I, 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 I was, I mean, the thing is, I was mainlining speed. I was like big into tweak at the time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but for somehow or another, I was drinking a lot. But, uh, but yeah, the year I spent in Portland, I did a lot, a lot of speed. Um, did you get anything done? No, I mean, I wasn't. You weren't I, writing. I, I, was you weren't. Heading, I was writing poetry, uh, but uh, but uh, I mean, I was heading down the tunnel. I was I was I was chasing death. I was like really trying pretty hard to to get. And that's a good point. Yeah, so. Portland seems to be a nice kind of dark, rainy place. Yeah, but. you know, if you if you grew up where there's sun, it's hard to move to Portland, and that's largely what that was about. And I couldn't make. Why'd friends. you move there? Uh, so, <laughs> so. At toward the end of the relationship with the girl who I got into dope with, uh, our our connections all dried up, and we didn't know enough people. We didn't know the the rounds in, in LA? LA or Garden you weren't Grove. going down to the yeah. The we didn't really have the stones to do that. We had a person who right, supplied right. us who was local, right, the, he, the middleman who'd step on your shit, and, and I think never he, knew when he was going to show up. He either decided he was going to clean up or 
or whatever, yeah. having his periodic power trips where he wasn't going to supply us. Right. You guys are too fucked up. Yeah, exactly. going to help you out. It was such a naked power trip with this guy. He was just like, I don't know, you guys, you're always coming over here. It's like, yeah, we are because you are our connection, you dick, right? And so uh, so we had to sit and listen to him talking about music. Oh, yeah, for he, hours. He, he knew much hours, more about yeah. music than anybody else according yeah. to him. But, uh, but, but we couldn't score. Yeah. But we knew somebody who had what's called a load. Yeah. You know this? It's four Codian fours and two Doridans, which I've never even looked up. I don't, that even know that. I don't either. It could be wrong, but, uh, but that's what we called it at the time. Right. And uh, and they were supposed to be good enough right. if you were if you couldn't cop. And right. we took them. I don't remember anything about it. I remember it came on. It's quite a load, huh? And they, well, this is the thing. <laughs> this is where I, I mean, when I think back, it's like, it seems clear to me that my girlfriend was stepping on my dose because I couldn't handle this. Yeah. She was really into it. And I was yeah. like, boom. Yeah. But maybe I hadn't eaten that. Yeah, day, yeah, you know? yeah. But, uh, but either way, she, she, she said, well, you're kind of out of it. This is hilarious. You'll love this. You, you should go home and put me in my car. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, I do not that, remember the drive at that's all. That's caring. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we were both hot. Sure, I don't yeah. blame her personally for that or anything. It, she's a good person now. But uh, but put me in my car. I drove home. I, uh, I'm i like 17 at this point. The whole big blow up with my stepfather is having my mother's living in an apartment with me and my sister now. Right? We're out of Oh, they, this, they broke up too? Yeah. Well, that was a whole, this is a whole, there's a number of different lines. It's yeah. a pretty complicated story to, to get all together. But yeah, so on New Year's Eve, well- Right around the time of that night I was talking about where we dropped acid and yeah. did cocaine and heroin, right around then was when we stayed in a motel that Christmas because the abuse had gotten too bad at home. Right. Right. And then we, my mom found an apartment. Me and my sister and my mom were living there. This is the one I go back to on the load, and I get to the front door, and apparently I couldn't think how to get in. Right. So I was just standing there at like 2 in the morning, and the dogs are barking, and my mom opens the door, and my junkie mind was still conscious enough to go, you have to somehow explain why you're so fucked up right now. So I said, oh, I'm feeling sick. And I went to the bathroom to grab some decongestants to prove, yeah, I'm real sick, so yeah, watch yeah, me look. take some Sudafed, yeah. right? And the Sudafed combined in my system with that to cause my lungs to fill with fluid. And in the morning, my mom couldn't wake me up to get me to my dishwashing job. And to this day, one of my biggest life regrets is how horrible it must have been in that apartment when the when the EMTs yeah. showed up to take me to the hospital, I woke up handcuffed to the bed because I had become apparently very violent under the influence of Narcan that they put in me. And uh, yeah, I woke up with handcuffs with private detectives asking me questions, and uh, it was a whole scene. And my father, real decide, father, my father, father, decided as people do when your life goes south on drugs that the problem in your life is your girlfriend. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so so he said he would pay me uh X amount of dollars to live in any city in and he didn't have a lot of money. This was like money out and of And you're his fucking skin. seventeen though. Yeah. But he knew I wasn't gonna go to college, that yeah. I was just gonna keep on doing whatever I was doing, working a dishwashing job and getting high, right? Yeah. And he's and he figured if I took a geographical, yeah. I would do better. And yeah. he said, I'll pay you to live in any city in the U.S. as long as you will attend community college for a year. I was in Portland visiting him when the, he made the offer. He was about to return to San Luis Obispo. And I said, yeah, what the hell? I mean, I didn't care for my life at all at this time. Yeah. And so I said, yeah, Portland, fine. And he gave me the money. Well, of course, he had no way of knowing this, but Portland in 85 yeah. is not a good place to drop off a junkie who you're trying to get off dope, right? And, so, <laughs> and, and, uh, and yeah, so I continued getting high for nine more months, and uh, and then the money ran out, and I came back and moved back in with mom. And then I was outside of my old drug friends had all dispersed right, to their various stations, yeah. and my older friends from high school weren't like that, and I fell back in with them, and I spent a couple of years generally a little less 
less fucked up except that then I did fuck up again and got like my luck I always say my luck ran out and I got arrested twice in one month and that was sort of when your question was when do I get some clarity on having a sense of purpose I was in the nursing program trying to turn my life around at the end of the semester where uh, in uh, Walnut here uh, in Southern California um, at Mount Sac I was in therapy and he's trying to convince me to to think of my life as having conceivably some direction yeah I said, what would you like to do? And I said, well, what you do seems pretty awesome. And he said, well, one path to that is to become a psychiatric technician right. and then study to become a social worker and then yeah. you can do that. And I got on the psych tech program and I, a friend of mine, close, close friend joined it with me and I was really motivated. Like I was really, and I, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was living fairly clean. I wasn't clean, 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 but, you know, I wasn't. But this was seemed to me also an, an effort to solve your problem. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Not, not just get a job, but like sort of like, well, this is the guy in charge of you know getting me, you know, of 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 trying to understand why my head is like it is. Yeah, no, to have something to do besides. Yeah, I mean, there's just yeah, and so. But at the end of the second semester, we all went out to party. Yeah, and I'm not, a, you know, in those days, if I if I got a little tipsy, I would just keep. Chasing yeah. the blackout, it was really bad. But the people that you were with weren't like that. No, but we all got too drunk for any of us to drive. Yeah, I was the one insisting that I should be the one who would drive. Yeah, and so I got me my drunk driving that night, and then, yeah. uh, or no, wait, that was two weeks after the cocaine arrest. <laughs> you got a cocaine arrest? Yeah, uh, I got hassled by the Canadian border this last time through for it uh, for the first time ever. Oh, uh, the, dude, the Canadians will one, but they had things. never it had never come up before, and it's so horrible. They sit there and make you and Peter. Uh, my, you go into immigration, and they're like, "What is this?" They sit there and, and make you confess, right? No, and yeah, it's really, I, and I, I want to go. That's like that's a lifetime. Like I'm describing this shit to you, but it really is like I'm talking, like I'm telling you a story. Years ago. It's like it's not somebody I really remember. I mean, I remember, but that's not. I stopped being that person five years or so after all these stories take place, yeah. and it's now twenty years after yeah. these stories take place. Yeah, it's you not, know, yeah. customs and, people. Don't the immigration people don't and, hear that? And the well. thing is, it's like I said. They said, "What's this?" I said, "Oh, it's this." And they they sit there and make you tell your story. It's really and my my bassist Peter, whose wife is from El Salvador, says, "Oh yeah, you think you think that's bad? You should try coming to the U.S. from El Salvador." I mean, they just basically will sit well, the, there. the Canadians crack down after we crack down on them. After yeah, yeah, 9/11. yeah. No, that's right. So so you get busted twice. And it was, I mean, I had done a lot of heinous shit in Before the previous that. three or four years and never got caught. I was golden. Nobody ever. Nobody touches me. Did you right? see this as a sign? Yes, I did. I, I, I was well, and especially I had two semesters of work toward this nursing degree that was important to me. I had important shit in my life. Yeah, and and the arrest, the the cocaine arrest, was a real betrayal of a girl I was with who didn't. I left her, and then we were a little tipsy, and I thought, man, I should go score some blood. It'd be fun, you know. And instead of spending the night at her house, you know, and uh, and she was hurt, and I was becoming a grown up. It was like I was beginning to understand that. You, you know, were fucked up. Well, and that part of, and that I cared. Yeah. You know, I was, I'd been away from my stepfather's sphere long enough to start to really be in touch with what I would consider my core. Yeah. And all these behaviors I'm talking about are responsive behaviors. I mean, I think I, as a person, am in fact, like the basic me, I'm, I'm a person who cares about people and doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. You know, but I did a bunch of shit for about four or five years where you would have been hard pressed to prove that. Well, you know? like what? Well, like with stuff we're talking about, like like this particular instance, like this doesn't seem like a big deal. But to say goodnight to somebody, I love you, I love you too, Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go home and see sleep. See you at school. Yeah. And instead, you, you go, go cruising the islands in, in Pomona and smoking rock all night, right? Yeah. Uh, until you get arrested. That's profoundly shitty, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's worse stuff that, I mean, I have my limits as to how far I can go in talking about this stuff. This is not really comfortable for me uh, when it goes past, when it goes to really 
harmful shit. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's like not not hand to hand shit. I don't, you know, but but you know, robbing people. And, sure. Uh, but but uh, lying. I mean, this thing like lying is a basic human behavior. When you look back on your druggy lies, you don't feel good about it. You know, you feel like that's really almost the worst. Is like when you look somebody dead in the eye and just who you like. Yeah. You know, your friend. Oh yeah, just, without even thinking. Yeah. Has and second not, exactly. It's like yeah. and it becomes second nature to you. But if you're me, you know that it's not second nature to you. That's like an adopted nature. It's a survival strategy, I think. But uh, are you right with this shit now? I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to be right with that. I, I, I'm Catholic. I, 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 I nurture my guilt. So, but, but was there ever any outreach around it? I mean, how do you mean? Well, I mean, uh, well, you know, in the program, there's an amends process. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't get there. So, <laughs> it's like I, I have to as many people as I, as I have come into contact with. I've tried. I mean, I said to my father, you know, I'm really sorry for the stuff that must have been hard for you. I said to you last time I saw him when it was over in England where he lives now. Uh, you know. Uh, when uh, when all that stuff went down when I was eighteen, I, I can't even imagine now that you know I'm a grown up. What that must have been like kids? for you. I have one. I have a fifteen month old son. So that's kind of weighing on you too. Yeah, yeah. In well, sense. I mean, the thing is, he won't he won't go through a divorce. You know, he no, no. But but still, like the responsibility, the fear, the pain, and the worry and concern yeah, of, yeah. of taking care of a, of a child, and and sort of knowing in your heart. That you know that your childhood, for reasons that were out of your control, yeah, yeah. went awry. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the emotional drain or pain that you caused those people was any less. Right. No, that's right. That's right. And in my father, it was a good. I'm not not super close to my father, but we did have a good moment on that. I could see him sort of go. You could see this thing cross, like of, of him remembering, but also remembering that was a long time ago. You know, really. And, yeah. You know, well, it was it was pretty deep. What uh, about the stepfather? Uh, well, he's dead. Um, yeah. He. Uh, and that's a long and complicated story. <laughs> a, there's, there's a lot more in that. Uh, he never really stopped feeding on us. He, uh, he, he, he lived, was locked in, chasing no, Well, no, no, no. It's like we were never, he moved back in with mom. Oh. Uh, after, after I was gone. She kept taking him back, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Is she still around? Yeah. Hey. I mean, that, that's why I don't want to go too deep into sure. that part of the story. As well. Are you okay around. with her? Yeah, well, I mean, as okay as you can be, you know, we're we're dysfunctional. We get on well. I talked to her today. She's 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 cool. You're grown ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. They that's proud right. of you? I don't know. Really? I don't know. Uh, Either of them? I don't. My well, yeah. My father doesn't listen to podcasts. Uh, <laughs> my my father. Neither does mine. My father. Uh, <laughs> it's my problem. My father has tried. Yeah, I can see him trying mm. to be proud. Ever since I was a poet, you know, when I was writing poetry, I was winning national prizes, right? And uh, and my poetry was well regarded. And my father would just tell me that you know, if you weren't writing in in verse, then it really wasn't poetry. Was he a failed poet? Uh, no, he was an English teacher, but he had not tried to write poetry. He he wasn't a failed writer in any way. He he loved literature, and uh, and was a very 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 staunch traditionalist he's the same way with jazz he plays jazz but his cutoff for good jazz is like 41 right boy really uh, 40 well maybe the earliest bebop like he'll take charlie parker but once you get to coltrane he's not down yeah Um, i get it but anyway i mean so my dad has a hard time feeling pride in stuff that he himself uh doesn't doesn't feel although i do wonder whether like if i if I, and I'm not going to do this, but, yeah. <laughs> but if I like made it my mission to craft exactly the kind of thing that he would like and did it well and it was generally acclaimed or anything, I still wonder whether it would get across, you know. But. Well, no, yeah, I think there's a, a, a fundamental sort of ego struggle between fathers and sons. And, it, you know, it probably, yeah, I, no, I, I agree. Just, it's just. It's terrifying as a father to think about that because my father, my, my, my son is a baby. Yeah. 
So you don't really think in terms of there being any ego struggle there. It's like he's a baby. He's a wonderful human being. And you don't hold any of his behaviors against him because he's just he's a baby, right? Yeah. And it's terrifying to think that at age 12 or 13, you'll start to feel... Threatened. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I don't, you don't want, you want to be better than that. You know, you really... And, you know, I'll spend the next 12 years trying to assemble as many tools for coping as I can. So when it comes, I can be as graceful and good as I can. But I mean, some degree of struggle is necessary for the growth of the child. They have to differentiate your, themselves from you at right. that point, right? Sure. They have to say, well, you are to some extent what I am not, right? right. And, and it will be... I will have to learn... How that works in a healthy household. How to accommodate the heartbreak of detachment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I know I will do it. I, I, uh, I've made, I've, I've made my life's mission since I was twenty-two or so, being a better person than the one that I was sort of heading toward. So. Well, so what? Now I, I have to assume that after listening to your records uh, and the urgency and the. And the and the sort of compulsion that there was some problem solving going on through that. Maybe that, I mean it took the thing is that you were playing the Sunset Tree. That's like the second autobiographical record. Well, I listened I made. to the later ones. Yeah, yeah, no, but but there's a lot before that. Yeah, right? and most of that was just storytelling, right? Uh, for the most part, and then I wrote We Shall Be Healed, which was my Tweaker album, right? And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting to to get a little real about it, you know? Yeah. And then the Sunset Tree was after my stepfather died, and he died, and my sister called in the middle of the night, say Mike's dead, and then I went on tour. A month or two later, and stuff started to crack open. It was really amazing. I just started to to feel free with my feelings, you know, uh, and in general. Well, no, with 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 those with just my my vision, my my ability to think about that time and how and and how far I'd come. I lived in Iowa at the time. You I was, think that some impact was that you know the abuser was dead? Yes, oh absolutely. I mean, it's like I tell people, I tell survivors when they come up to me in the merch line is like, you know, they'll say, "Why well, I, I survived abuse? Has your abuser died yet?" And then we'll say, you know, no. I say, I want you to be ready because it is. I mean, I hate to say this because you don't wish death on anybody. It's wonderful when your abuser dies. It's wonderful. It's like nothing in the world. It's like you are free. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a feeling that you will never be free of what you were. You know, there's that. But there is this, you know, even though my stepfather was helpless at the end of his life, but to know that the person who used to hurt you no longer can is very, very, very deep. It's it's unbelievable. You forgive him? No. And Which I hate about myself, but but I don't. Yeah. The, uh, the So the record was, you know, that one was a, a cathartic emotion. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I wasn't even ready for it. It wasn't something I tried to do. I was on tour, and Peter will tell you stories about how he'd come out of the shower and come to the hotel room. We shared a room at the time. Peter and I roomed. <laughs> Brandon, my tour manager, is next to me now. Now I room with Brandon, so Brandon would be the one coping with this instead yeah. now. But uh, but Peter would come out of the shower, and I would just be on the floor with a guitar and a fucking train wreck of a human being working on stuff, writing these songs, like 10 verses per song, just trying to sort it. Yeah, I remember writing dance music in the van. That's uh, a very sweet, touching, deep song. That oh, song. thank you. Yeah, it's like that's like to me when I listen to that again today. That's sort of like that's the, that's the doorway into it all. Yeah, yeah. No, way. it was one of the earliest ones. It was uh, I was working on stuff like that that tour, and it must have been like day six of the tour. Or so, and we were parked trying to find a place to park in mm -hmm. Paris, and uh, and I'm in the van with a notebook just scribbling stuff fast and I didn't and I wrote a little thing that said you know very jumpy maybe C G C or maybe G C D and five days later we're doing a peel session with no ideas about what to do and I said well let's 
let me just work on music on the floor of the studio here and I'll write three new ones and we'll do a cover of something. And that's what we did. It's like that, that day we did Tetrapod and dance music and, uh, God, one other, uh, magpie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was so, and I, and I said to Peter during like the three or four days in London on that tour, he's like, I'm thinking about doing a whole album of this stuff. It really feels like that's where I'm supposed to go. And Peter, and it was very important, this little tiny bit of conversation. I think you should do that. Right. And I was like, cool i got permission you know and, and did that was that do you see that album and that and that that catharsis of that event sort of like that that broke you wide open to continue responsibly and dedicatedly to your to, to songwriting and in to, many ways that's the first mountain goats album right? yeah in, in many i know a lot of mountain goats fans would be you know less than pleased to hear that but it's like all this stuff before that sort of feels like a study for when i was able to tap something and i think i'd i'd hit the root a few times before, you know, on Oh, I was Texas. There's a few love songs that I think, and I, on the corners gambit where I address a friend's death, there's, there's moments where I, where I hit the reserve, right? That thing that you get. And this is why I think what I do is improvisational. It's like, it's when you are making shit up as you go along and then suddenly you go, Oh, that's real. I'm a, if, if I have the balls, let me follow that. You well, know? obviously, you know, you had the, a sort of a knack for it, you know, from, from, you know, writing poetry for so long that, you know, that, that, that lyricism yeah, was yeah. something that you had a handle on. And, yeah. and I think not unlike someone like Bob Dylan or you, yeah. you, you're sort of hard pressed to find a, a, a Dylan record, you know, pre, you know, some of the later records that you can really say, well, that must be him. Yeah. 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 But you get into blood on the tracks, right? And right. then suddenly, suddenly he right. was, but all that formal study before then i think is so important you can't no no absolutely you can't you can't do it until you know how to right but there's also like a lot of sort of uh kind of skirting the issue right yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you know kind of dancing around because you're afraid it's like it's terrifying because if people look if we'd made the sunset tree and people had gone this sucks it would have been very hard you know it would have been painful because it would have been such a uh you know not just a a a craft rejection but an emotional right rejection but but the other thing is like it wouldn't have mattered that much as long as it reached a few people because as soon as it came out it's it's I can't even begin to describe to you what it's like for to get contacted by 16-year-old people who are living where I lived not in the same town but in, who are living through what the I hell. lived to tell me this is useful to me yeah, you yeah. know it's like it really makes you feel like well I'll be goddamned my life has a purpose right. the, the guy who sucked ass at being a person yeah. has made something useful that is deep I mean it's like it's seriously like it, mean, it means that if I if you tell me now well, and at the end of this interview I'm going to shoot you dead right then yeah. I'll go well you know what I had a good one <laughs> it's like, well that's you know, like from before it's like he died but we have these records totally and, and so so that I mean that happened and the other thing was at the end of tracking it I was like what if the label turns it down you know and I didn't even care. It's like I had done something that was important for me, you know, and I could feel that we had gone gone someplace new, you know, and, and it was really super intense for me. And and, and also focused your emotional um, integration. Like, you know, I, I imagine now, like, you must feel some personal connection to all the records post yeah. that. Yeah. You know, dealing with, you know, fatherhood and traveling and everything yeah, yeah. else. That, that they're all, you, you know, when you compare them to the, the first few records that you made, you, you've got to believe that you're maturing and mature and yeah you always feel like you're getting better right uh but but i would say it's like i do i don't think i tapped that vein again for another couple until the black pear tree ep a couple years later so like we we missed iowa we missed marriage yeah there's i mean the thing is like when you 
I, I get my chattiness from my father, but it's like I, I feel like other people might be able to condense my story into something a little more that doesn't range as long well, as what, the Kahoti, so you, but. you crapped out in nursing school. No, no. I, I so so what I did is like I, I got busted and then busted and mm-hmm. then they combined my charges, yeah. right? Which was I didn't have a lawyer, I couldn't afford the fifteen hundred dollar retainer fee. Right. Uh and so uh so I just stood before the judge and he said, What do you want to plea? And I was just taking a gamble and I said nolo contendere and he said "Do you? would you like me to try these charges together I see you've been arrested since I last saw you in here and I said uh, I mean I don't I don't know and he, and he says if I try if I combine the two charges then you will only be convicted on the greater of the two and I said which is the greater of the two and he said the drunk driving and I said yeah right? and he said okay well I'm finding you guilty uh, and I'm sentencing you to three years probation with random drug testing and uh and uh, you'll show up for all that, and I will send you to jail for three years if you fail any of your drug tests. And <laughs> and the thing is, I had been to jail, right? And I did not. I when were you in jail? When they arrested me for it's the like, coke? Yeah, yeah, and for the five hundred two. Uh, and and I'd been in the drunk tank several times in Portland. Uh, and the drunk tank in Portland is no joke. It's, yeah. it's pretty intense. And uh, and I knew that I wouldn't make it in jail. I was I was skinny and small. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, so that did you scared straight. Scared the hell out of me. I, yeah. I went on the program for five years and I confessed everything to the nursing board. It's like I, I wrote it all down in vivid detail what mm-hmm. I was doing and all this, mm-hmm. and I stayed stayed uh, dead sober with random testing for five years. Uh, and well, no, for two after after two years, my probation officer looked at my record of clean tests and said, "What are you even doing here?" It's like you don't have to come in for these anymore. Yeah. And so, so because I mean, literally everybody else in this caseload was routinely testing dirty, yeah, yeah, and yeah. paying fines and shit. Yeah, you like passed. That. I was dead serious. I yeah. was like, I was done with that part of my life. Yeah. I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And I really do. When I think of all that drug use, which is really compressed into a four-year period, it was just a survival strategy. You know, it was just me trying to cope with, with you know. It was that or suicide, and I didn't want to kill myself, and so I, I wanted to you just want to dance obliterate around the myself. Edge of it. Right, you know, sure. Like I wanted to be obliterated without dying if I could, and make it through that period, and so I did. And uh, and then I had a purpose. I was a nurse. You know, it's like I was going somewhere. I was helping people doing work I loved. What kind of nursing? A psychiatric nursing. How did that affect you? And and in terms of like under my assumption, not yours, that that you know being put in a service situation with people that were suffering from you know perhaps similar you know types of reactions. Right. Uh, well, I was working with long terms. I mean, I did some stuff in short term. For the most part, the people I was working with are chronically mentally ill, who are also people who will put your shit in perspective. It's like we talk about my life. There's another version of my life in which a stronger person could go, well, I'm just going to buckle down and avoid the abuser as long as I can, get out of here when I'm 18 and make a decent life. I didn't choose to do that. Right? Right. I chose to, to be narcissistic like a lot of addicts are. You know, and But uh, but you go work in long-term psych, you meet people with real problems that yeah. they cannot help who come from fine families, but their brain has fucked them over. You know? right. and, uh, and, they had, and that's not on them at all. Right. You know? uh, and so, so that was really healthy for me to be Sobering. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I mean, it really was. It was like, you know, I don't take, I talk, if people ask me about my life, I talk about it seriously, but I don't want people to get it in any way twisted. I don't think I'm special, and I don't think I had it especially hard. I know a million people who had it harder than me, Yeah, right? It's like, right. I am lucky, right? Right. And I know people who haven't had any luck, you know, and, uh, and so, and yeah. I wanted to make it my mission to somehow you know, give back to the world in some way because I made it, you know, and so. Yeah. So I was a nurse for a while with those guys and I loved those guys. They were the best. I worked in the long-term unit at- uh, What kind of problems? 
I mean, schizophrenia and and, right. and uh, bipolar disorder, yeah. unmanageable bipolar disorder, yeah. and uh, and uh, it was on the Spanish speaking unit at Metro in Norwalk, yeah. and uh, did that for several years. You speak Spanish? I did at the time. After yeah. I moved to Iowa and then to North Carolina, my wow. Spanish has kind of died in my mouth, but I used to be fluent. Why so. the fuck Iowa? My my girlfriend, who I met when I was in college, I went back to college at the end of nursing. I I was I had a I was still staying at community college, and there was yeah. an English teacher named Lois, Lois Cole who was like. Why don't you have a BA in English? You're a person who needs. That's your. That's who you actually are. You know. I was like, you know, you're you're right. You know. And so I went to Pitzer uh, from the time I was 24 to the time I was 28, and uh, and I met this girl through the Mountain Goats, which I started during that time. It was just, just you and another person, right? Uh, it was me and th- actually four other people, and then it was uh, the former members of a band called the Casual Girls. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one of them, Rachel, became my bassist, and we toured a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but then during that time, uh, I met this girl named Lalitri, who's my wife now, uh, who knew my music. She wasn't a massive fan or anything, but we wound up having a conversation yeah. online. Yeah. It was 94 or 5. Right. And, uh, and when I got back from a European tour, I had a little bit of money, like a, like $1,000 or something like yeah. that. And I was like, fly out to the Midwest and meet this girl. Why the yeah. fuck not? You know? yeah. And I told her, I'm going to fly to Chicago. Don't feel any pressure. But if you want to come out and meet me, it's chill. You know? and, and she did. And we are still married. Uh, <laughs> so, how long? Uh, I guess we got married in 98 or 99. And then uh, you ended up in Iowa because that's where she came she from? She was still going to school. She was younger than me uh, by a good deal. Um, and uh, What's and a good deal? Eight years, nine years. Uh-huh, and yeah. uh, I mean, not, you know, yeah. not, not, not to me like super eyebrow raising yeah. you know uh but uh but i don't know it's not for me to say either but uh but in any case i uh you know we met up and she was still going to grinnell so i moved to grinnell and when she graduated we moved up to colo yeah because we're kind of stupid together really. we, don't, we could have gone anywhere in the fucking world yeah you know we couldn't have because we were poor but like we could have picked better than just to go to the nearest iowa town yeah that we could afford a freestanding house right in. right but that's what we did yeah and uh and yeah, so lived there for two years and Ames for another three or so. Oh my God, yeah. And well, Ames was, I mean- Yeah, it's nice. I got a lot of love for Iowa. I don't talk down Iowa. I was cool. But but at, after I came back from an Australian tour in 2002 or three, and it was clear that leaving my wife at home for as long as seven or eight months, you know, not, not continuously, but total during the year- Tricky. To sit around in Ames- Yeah. Was really not a tenable strategy. So where would so, you go after that? North Carolina, where we live now. So okay. uh, Durham, North Carolina, the best town in the U.S. So right on. Durham is popping. Raleigh's cool and Chapel Hill's cool, but Durham has just been doing this slow growth, amazing thing for the past since we moved there. Which is a coincidence. We mm-hmm. we picked it because it was a little cheaper than living in Carver or Chapel Hill, but it has just grown and grown. It's really cool. So you want to um, you want to play some music? Yeah. What do you want to hear? What, whatever you feel comfortable playing. You can do new ones or you can do old ones. Well, let me figure something out. Um, Let's do it. All right. I've been saying to audiences that this song is about the yoga of self-mutilation. It's called uh, Until I Am Whole. Sunset on Snohomish Burn the tree line down Hold my hopes underwater Stand there and watch them drown Fishing out their bodies From the bathroom sink Leave them in a bucket Till they start to stink I think I'll stay 
here until I feel home again. I don't know when. Trout swim past the fishing line. Sky gets dark and close. Cars start up and make their nightly exodus on a picnic bench alone. I watch the lake go dark. Dig my nails into my hands. Hope it leaves a mark. I think I'll stay here until I feel whole again. I don't know when. Sounded amazing. Thank you. Want to do one more? Sure. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, so this song is for a specific person. This is a song with the same four chords I use most of the time When I've got something on my mind And I don't want to squander the moment Trying to come up with a better way To say what I want to say People were mean to you But I always thought you were cool Clicking down the concrete hallways In your spiked heels Back in high school It's better to pass on through those years and come out the other side With our hearts still beating Having stared down demons Come back breathing People were mean to you But I always thought you were cool Clicking down the concrete hallways In your spike heels Back in high school you deserved better than you got Someone's gotta say it sometime Cause it's true People should have told you You were awesome Instead of taking advantage of you I hope you love your life now Like I love mine I hope the painful memories Only flex their power over you A little of the time 
on to hope of better days coming And when we did we were right I hope the people who did you wrong Have trouble sleeping at night People were mean to you But I always thought you were cool Clicking down the concrete hallways In your spike heels Back in high school Thanks, John. Sure. Thanks for sharing. You bet. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's the show. Thank you. Thank you, John. Amazing talk. You sounded great. Happy you were here. Uh, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Uh, do whatever you got to do. Get some merch. Get the app. Get on the mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. Check out my calendar. Uh, check out clips. A lot of shit on there, man. Get 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 yourself a box brown poster. There's more posters coming. More things coming. Come see me. Come see me. Somewhere. I'm funny right now. I'm trying to put the special together. Swear to God, I am. I'm not fucking lying to you. Boomer lives! <laughs>